So cool. We're in the middle of um, just a, a brief series to launch the year off uh, called Why This Matters. And it, uh, it's really a look at, uh, at this symbol of the cross that you see uh, on top of church steeples and, and all over the place. Um, and and it's, it's kind of a bizarre symbol, right? Isn't it a symbol of crucifixion, of a, essentially a torture device that uh, the savior of the world was tortured and, and died on? You wouldn't look at this from a marketing perspective as brilliant uh, marketing. Why would, you put this, uh, why would you put this on your letterhead? You know, like, like this is a crazy thing. Why would you, if you're Justin Bieber, why would you put this on your, your chest? I think the Biebs there uh, loves the cross. He's actually holding his cross while he's showing off your, his cross tattoo. I cropped out his nipples for you. I just, just to mercy. I uh, hope that's uh, hope that's okay. Um, but uh, that's the that's the Biebs, uh, uh, you know, wearing the cross on his chest. Why is this such a a meaningful symbol? It's such a bizarre and strange symbol, right? Uh, this symbol of, of of death. If your CEO. Uh, you know, you know, died and and was tortured. You know, you're not necessarily putting that on, on, on your letterhead. But for us, something happened in that moment when Jesus died on the cross that is absolutely uh, the central and most important part uh, about Christianity. This moment that we see represented in this image uh, actually accomplished something. It actually did something. And sort of flowing out of uh, all of that uh, that that event and the thinking and the writing. Uh, all about it uh, over the centuries and even as early as the first uh, few decades after the death of Jesus and his resurrection and the writings of the New Testament. Uh, some really important theological ideas came out, and we're going to talk about some of these. And these are just sort of big theological words. Some of them you know, probably read like swear words, as we said uh, last week. Substitutionary atonement, impute, imputed righteousness, Christus Victor, revelation, propitiation. That one really sounds like a swear word to me. Uh, redemption, expiation, uh, ransom, justification, reconciliation, Christus exemplar, which is essentially what would Jesus do, WWJD. Um, uh, but all those things, like when you look at them sort of big theological doctrinal words, you sort of come across like this guy, uh, like George Costanza with his, uh, his, his fat wallet. I mean, that's old news. Some of you have, like it's, some of you are way too young to have ever watched Seinfeld. But uh, there's this episode where, where George is like going around with his big fat wallet. It's kind of like a dad wallet, right? With like a million receipts all in it. And, and it's packed. He has to like take a stack of napkins so that he can sit straight in the booth at the coffee shop and put it under his other butt cheek, right? Um, and that's sort of how we look as Christians when we're carrying around a lot of these words. Like we have a whole bunch of sort of irrelevant information and theological words and doctrinal things. And how does this make sense to anybody who has a real need? in the world, but as we look at the cross and we see, sort of zoom out on these words and what they really mean, uh, they're, they're actually worth something really valuable to us. The cross and what happened there is actually like hard currency for us. It's actually something really real that answers uh, the deepest questions that we have as humans and, 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 and touches our deepest needs. It's like carrying around like gold bricks in your wallet that, that, that actually have value. Or, or imagine a debit card, not a credit card, that's actually attached to account with a million bucks. 
right? The cross is actually something of value that you carry with you. Um, and and these, these big theological words actually answer important questions for us. Like, like, I can't seem to feel like I pay for my, state, my mistakes. I can't seem to do enough. I experience spiritual darkness. I don't know what God is like. God must be angry at us. I feel worthless. Others have wounded me. I can't stop doing things that hurt me. I have no right... Uh, to be with God. I, I feel distant from God. I, I don't know how to live. These are the big questions that we wrestle with. And, and in the cross, in the facets of that one event that happened, we see an answer to these really deeply felt questions. And we're going to just wrestle with, with one of them this morning. And I think it'll be a relatively short uh, sermon. And that's the, the theological term Christus Victor. And what it really answers is this uh, this this sense that in this world that is as chaotic as it is, that some of us experience a spiritual darkness at a high level. We, we're dealing with, uh, with difficult things that are, that are happening around us. For some of us, it could be uh, people who are having night terrors uh, long past when kids have it as a developmental thing. There might be uh, people having uh, suicidal thoughts that are spiritual thoughts. Uh, different kinds of things. There's different ways that we encounter the darkness. Uh, we see it much more clearly when we uh, travel, when we uh, go outside the North American modern uh, construct. But, uh, but there's a way in which even people that we know today wrestle with spiritual darkness at a high level. And the idea of Jesus' victory on the cross, which if you look at the cross by itself, you think that what he accomplished on the cross there seemed so much like a defeat. Like we understand the substitutionary atonement that he was substituted for us and we understand the way that that cost him and what that, what he paid, but we haven't really sometimes wrestled with the victory that was accomplished in that. Like the incredible victory that was accomplished uh, through Christ on the cross. I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures here that we'll dig into a bit more in a couple of moments. It says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That through the cross, he transferred us from one place to another. Uh, God has made alive together with him, made us alive together with him, uh, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers, authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He put them to open shame. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. But what, that, what, what the wrestle is for us uh, in that, for, for, for those of us who really wrestle, and, and sometimes this is our friends, sometimes this is our unchurched friends, sometimes those of us who've been Christians for a long time have worked through and processed all of that, and sometimes some of us haven't. But there are, there are those of us that we love that experience some of these things and, and experience like really tormenting fears, sometimes night terrors, uh, sometimes it's tormenting voices that are constantly uh, speaking in someone's ears that seem like a voice that's outside of themselves, that are constantly speaking to their faults, constantly speaking to their brokenness, constantly speaking uh, to the, the mistakes that they've made, constantly 
constantly uh, judging them and criticizing them. Uh, sometimes that's something that people experience. Sometimes people experience things like darkness in their homes. Uh, we pray for people all the time who are experiencing uh, a sense of darkness in their home. Like when I go downstairs, I'm just scared every time when I go by that closet. Uh, and that's, I mean, it's, we're not, we're not going to come out of this sermon with everybody looking for a demon behind every bush. For sure, that's not where we want to go. That's what, not what we want to do. But sometimes this is a real experience of people. And certainly, again, if you travel uh, in, in the developing world, you see it much, much more uh, frequently. If you talk to Don Elizabeth Cantel, the missionaries that we support in Mozambique, they, they deal with this stuff, like, routinely. Uh, doing, doing spiritual warfare. Uh, there's suicidal suggestions. Sometimes people wrestle with suicidal thoughts uh, as part of uh, mental illness, part of different things that they have going on. But sometimes suicidal thoughts aren't just uh, a thought like, I want to uh, kill myself. Sometimes they're uh, external thoughts, like a, a voice telling a person to do that. And we know lots of people that have struggled with that uh, sort of thing or, or a voice that's telling someone to harm themselves. Sometimes it's curses. Sometimes it's generational curses. Uh, sometimes it's a sickness that comes in people's bodies that's just an affliction. It's, it, it just, as we pray for them, we just have a knowing in our heart that uh, something spiritual is attacking them, that it's not just a natural, not a genetic thing, not a chemical thing, that we know that sometimes there's that influence. And this is just, I mean, I'm not trying to freak us out here but this is just something that from a counseling, practical, real deal uh, perspective uh, that pastors and leaders uh, just deal with all the time. It's not front and center in terms of our ministry, in terms of what we do uh, in the church. Uh, we don't have like public deliverance sessions if you, you know, or, or any, it's just not what we do, but, but it's something that just comes up as we care for people in the real. Um, sometimes it's murderous thoughts and sometimes people have experienced the sense that uh, I, I mean, I've heard people say that it feels like there's a demon sitting on the edge of my bed and I'm terrified when I wake up in the night. Like, this is just real deal stuff that, that we deal with. And if you uh, look at uh, what Christ believed about the world that he lived in, he believed that he dealt with this stuff in a, in a very real way. He was, he was constantly encountering the darkness and constantly pushing it back. And so this is just a reality that is, uh, is part of what we deal with in the world. And, and in so many cases, some of the people that we love... Uh, Sometimes us as Christians, but some of the people that we love who, who don't know Jesus yet are really uh, under this darkness. They're in this uh, domain of darkness and haven't yet been transferred to the kingdom of light and, and are, are, are wrestling in some pain around some of that. I'll, I'll sometimes, I'll often get a call just from somebody, particularly around houses, say, hey, your pastor, your church, does your church do house blessings? I feel terrified in my house. It's one of our ministries that, that none of you know that we really do, but it's something that, that we do fairly, fairly often. We'll go and we'll just pray in someone's house. Uh, there's a woman uh, who had attended church once, uh, this is a few years ago, and, and uh, she, was, uh, she was like, I, I, I'm just terrified to be in my house. And, and, and the Lord just gave me a little sense of, of discernment. I said, do you watch horror movies? And she said, oh yeah, they don't mean anything, they don't do anything, they don't cause any problems. That is not that at all. <laughs> And I'm like, well, would you try stopping watching horror movies for a while? And then I'll come and pray in your house. And she's like, no, no, they're just fun. It's just pure fun. It's just. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to, 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 to clean your house. I'm not going to be able to roll up my sleeves and clean your house if you're inviting this stuff in all the time. And we had to just release her and, and, 
and, and say, I, I want to help you, I want to pray for you. But, uh, but there's a way in which it, there's got to be something inside of us that rises up, that needed to rise up inside of this woman against the darkness and say, I'm not going to have this in my life. I'm not going to have this as part of who I am. I need Jesus to set me free. I need Jesus to cleanse me. I need Jesus to do uh, this in me. And so as we've sort of processed some of this stuff, um, you know, like, uh, I mean, it's just, how many, like, can I just ask, how many of you have experienced this or, or know people who've experienced the darkness in, in ways like this before? Like, this is just real deal living in the world that is, is a world that is not completely uh, the fullness of the kingdom of God yet, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and God. Yeah, He wants to dig that stuff out and set us, and set us free, right? So, just a few important thoughts, though, as we as we wrestle with it again. Uh, we we do not want to be like uh, going home and looking for a demon under your every bush and and checking your closets and like what's in there, you know, like like it's not, that's not where we want to be at. But the but what we want to teach is is your authority as believers to to uh, to step on the snake whenever he rears his head, right? And to just deal with it when it comes up with authority. Uh, so just a few a few thoughts on that. They're just really important theologically as we look at the victory of Christ and how it applies to this part of the world that we live in. And his first thought is this: is that the enemy is a created being. He's a fallen angel. He's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent, he is not co-equal with God. So often in our thinking, uh, we think of a dualism, we think that the devil is here and God is here, and they're fighting each other in some great cosmic battle for the universe. And it's just not a correct theological view of who the enemy is. God is here, and the devil is here. <laughs> we, uh, Rob Christie, my friend, wrote a, wrote a great song. Great big God, little bitty devil. We've got a great big God and a little bitty devil. If you look at the uh, org chart uh, of, of heaven, like, like where is, is Satan? Does he have his organization that is, you know, sort of equal with God's? Is he like another CEO? When you're dealing with darkness in your home, are you, and this is often uh, just, just something we see in the language of Christians. Yeah, I really, I had to kick the devil out of my house. Well, you didn't have the CEO of darkness in your house because he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. The devil didn't come to your house. He sent a minion, right? So, so just understand the authority that you have as believers, right? Uh, imagine that you're, you're, you've got some guy knocking on your door uh, wanting to sell you a product at the door. He's like a low-level uh, marketing sales guy person. That's the, the demon that you're dealing with, but the CEO of the universe is in your living room with you. Right? God is omnipresent. God is all-knowing. He is uh, everywhere, and he is present to you in a way that the enemy can't even remotely be. So that person who is with you in the presence of Jesus has authority that goes far, far, far beyond what any spiritual thing that you're going to encounter is. We have a great big God and a, and a little bitty devil. Uh, he's just a, whatever we're dealing with in, in the spiritual darkness is way down on the org chart from Jesus. Right? 
You got that figured out? Uh, second, he's a defeated enemy. Uh, so that the power that he holds is that which it, and is, is only that which is given to him or that which he can fool you into thinking he has. Right, so the, the enemy works in a sense of, uh, like, if you have not been transferred to the kingdom of, of light from the kingdom of darkness, if you have uh, not dealt with your sin before Jesus uh, and, and accepted his, his love, then you've got a whole different way of having to deal with this problem than if Jesus is your savior. Right? And, and then beyond that, uh, we know that he's a defeated enemy, right? We read that scripture earlier. He was paraded in open shame because of what Jesus did on the cross, right? He was just, he was, he was, he, he's, he's defeated, he's in chains, he's, he's wiped out. And he doesn't have authority to affect your life. The only authority that he has to have an influence in your life is that authority which he can fool you into thinking he has. So he's the creepy little sales guy who knocks on your door wearing his CEO badge, but you know he's like a low level. <laughs> Nothing, right? You know he doesn't have that authority. That authority uh, to rule the universe resides clearly with Christ. And so you've been given that same authority. Uh, one of the ways in which uh, we, we sort of constantly, I mean, there's so many little tricks and traps that we see, but one of the things that Christians often say, and this is something that I'm sort of constantly coming against, and I sort of speak against it every, every chance I get, but how many of you have sort of heard or thought or even believed the phrase that if you do something good for God, the enemy is going to counterattack and, uh, and make your life miserable after you've done something great for God? Right, you don't have to raise your hand because I, you don't want to because I'm actually going to shoot this down. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's a way in which Christians sort of believe this and this sort of comes out of charismatic Christianity and, and some of our background is something I believed for a long time and something that I, I heard taught a long time. And I often hear people say this, that, that man, if I, I did something awesome for God. We had an amazing conference. Watch out, the enemy's going to come in and attack now. Right, have you heard that? Right, that's something that's really, really common, right, really frequent. Um, and that is, in my opinion, that is the enemy trying to get you to believe that he has authority to get past God's protection. Right? Right? The enemy does not have more power to attack you than God has power to protect you. And so the enemy always works uh, with our beliefs, always works with our faith, right? So if you believe in your heart that once the second you've done something good for Jesus, that the enemy is going to come and tempt you and give you despair and make something miserable happen in your life because you've just done something great for Jesus, and if you believe that, that belief in itself is the opening by which he can attack you. Because you're putting faith in him. That's something that John Arnott and I used to talk about all the time is don't help the enemy out any by believing in him. Don't help him out by having faith in him. Let your faith be firmly rested in the presence of God. So when I preach a sermon that feels great or I'm at a conference or, or I feel like we've had a victory moment or we've led somebody to faith in Christ or something awesome uh, happens in the church, it, does, it just doesn't any longer occur to me that, man, I better watch out. The enemy's going to get me now. 
because I just think God had a victory and then he's going to have another victory and then he's going to have another victory. And if the enemy ever does raise his head and, and, and cause us grief and cause us pain or, or we experience anything like that, then we just have authority in Jesus to deal with it. So we're not looking for him and believing in him and expecting. We don't look at the enemy with the expectation that he's going to get us. We look to God with the expectation that he's going to protect us and that he's going to care for us because we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. And that is a good place and that is a safe place because God is with us. And any time that anything breaks through that for any reason, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you have authority to deal with it. And this is just something that the Lord taught me really, really early on in my, uh, in, in my, uh, in my journey. It was shortly after I'd had a, an encounter with Jesus where uh, I knew that he was real and I was beginning to pursue a call to ministry. I was in my teens and, uh, and I had a, a time when I was just, okay, I'm gonna kind of come home from school. I just wanna worship Jesus. I put on a worship. I believe it was a cassette tape. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Uh, in, in the cassette deck, in my, in my ghetto blaster, <laughs> in my room. <laughs> and I put on uh, some worship music. And I began to, to try to worship Jesus. And I just felt like, as I was trying to worship Jesus, I, was, I kept having these really awful thoughts. I, I felt like I couldn't focus on Jesus. I would try to praise him, and I would have this this anger come or this, uh, this distraction come. And I just felt like, for lack of a better uh, language, that I was just simply oppressed. I was simply being, being held down and that something was stopping me from connecting with Jesus. And I knew that it was a spiritual force, that it was beyond myself. I'm 17 or 18 years old at this time. And I remember, like, it was so dramatic when we're teenagers. And I kind of remember this moment of feeling like I was under it. I think I was at this point kind of crashed out, lying on my bed, and I was like crawling my way up to my desk and I and I'm like what am I gonna do and I took and I wrote just a cross on my bulletin board and just I'm not talking about like a spiritual talisman I'm not talking about like a magic symbol but I wrote that cross on my bulletin board and it stopped in an instant and the glory of God broke into my room and I experienced the beauty and the presence of God and absolutely no sense of darkness in that space in that moment. And that wasn't because I put a magic symbol on the, on the wall. That wasn't because I did anything uh, like that. It, was, it wasn't about that, uh, that act of writing something physical or tangible. You don't need to carry a little cross to protect you from the, you know, the... The works of the enemy, like that's, that's not what I'm talking about. But you need to know in your heart that because of what Jesus did on the cross, he's got you. He's got your back. And I knew in that moment the authority that Jesus established for himself in that moment of dying on the cross for my sins. I was transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And if you are wrestling with that level of darkness, sometimes more than anything other than shouting at the devil or yelling at the devil or fighting with him or any of that sort of stuff that we see, what you simply need sometimes is just a simple theological shift to realize and recognize that you are no longer in the domain of darkness. You are now in the kingdom of God. 
he's got you. He's got you in that space. The thing that the enemy most wants from you is he wants your attention. He wants uh, to distract you from the good thing that God wants you to do. He wants you to believe in him instead of believing in Jesus. And so very often uh, we'll see uh, the enemy rising up in our lives and feeling like we have to fight him and feeling like we have to do uh, battle against him. And, and what really needs to happen in that moment is uh, very often we need to maybe say a quick prayer, prayer of rebuke or something like that, but very, very quickly turn your attention from him and put your eyes on Jesus. Uh, the, what, I've seen this so many times just in ministry. Uh, even, even recently, uh, you know, we just had somebody uh, in, in this space where we were praying, and this person was just getting more agitated and more agitated, and I knew that we were dealing with uh, sort of a demonic presence. We were dealing with something that was rising up inside this person. And, and, and I knew that there was, a, there was a way I could go, like I could go totally old school on this thing, and we could break out the... Uh, the prayer and we could rebuke the thing and we could yell at it and we could name it and we could cast it out and we could do do all of that sort of stuff but what I knew is that that thing wanted attention in that person's life it wanted to be front and center and so what we said was this thing that's here if you do not give it your attention if you turn your eyes to Jesus it's not going to be interested it's just going to go and we simply rebuked it and began to worship Jesus and pray and the thing was gone. We've seen that on a, on, a, on a global scale, like on a conference scale. I remember I was in Toronto, I was pastoring there, and we had uh, somebody uh, come to the meeting, and we had this, we had 6,000 kids in the auditorium worshiping Jesus, just their faces just turned to him, just fully like sweating and B.O. and dancing for Jesus like you would not believe the smell in the place. Like just phenomenal. And I remember somebody came up on my shoulder, I've told this story before, and tapped me on the shoulder, we've got someone outside, they're demonized, can you come deal with it? And I remember going outside and uh, saying, yeah, we can do this. We're going to kick the devil's butt. Like, we're going to do this thing, right? And, uh, and we go out there and, uh, and we're, we're going to pray for this person. And it's this long sort of discussion, this long sort of thing. Like, like you've got to surrender to Jesus. All this kind of thing, right? And, uh, and we finally sort of dealt with it. We felt like we parked it. We hadn't made headway. But it was like, okay, I, I got to get back into the meeting. And I went back into the meeting. And when I walked inside the meeting, that whole sense of the worship and the presence of the glory of God had turned into a rave. And it had turned into becoming almost a self-glorification, self-worship. We're just celebrating the fact that we're dancing. And as a person who was giving oversight to that space and worship and, and leading it, I'd taken my eye off the ball and was no longer leading the people in that room to the presence of Jesus, I was off fighting a demon. And, and the whole thing went sideways. Because we allowed a distraction to take out our leadership, myself and another person. And the thing went off the rails. And we had to, I literally, I, I got up on the stage in that moment uh, because everybody was focused and going this way and that way and just, just nowhere. And I got up on the stage, the band was still playing and I just went and I pointed at the cross I told the band to stop. And I pointed at the cross. And we literally felt the whole room begin to turn its eyes to Jesus again. And the glory of God fell in the place. The presence was reestablished. 
And just so often that's a picture of what happens in our lives with people. Like oftentimes the enemy might raise his head. You might feel, uh, you might even have like a, a background or, or teaching from, from some old thing that teaches you that when you, when you see that, you, you need to uh, freak out and get mad and have a deliverance session and whatever. But so often, and, and, and I'm not saying that there's not times to deal with it, but so often the enemy most needs to be ignored. Because he wants glory. He wants attention. He wants uh, you to focus on him. Um, it's, uh, it's a great quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. That's not where we want to be. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Martin Luther uh, tells a story um, of, of uh, just from his journals and from looking at some of his writings as a young man. He says he experienced the devil coming to the foot of his bed and, and tormenting him. And he talks about yelling at the devil and, and getting angry. And he picked up his ink bottle from beside his bed and he whipped his ink bottle at the enemy and threw it at him. And said, get thee behind me, Satan, and yelled at him. It's a young man, Martin Luther, early in his life. Later in his life, he describes the experience uh, he, he wakes up in the middle of the night and realizes that it feels like the enemy is sitting at the end of his bed. And he rolled over and said, oh, it's just you. And he went back to sleep. That's who we want to be in the kingdom. God is with you. You have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let's just read uh, this little bit from uh, book of Luke chapter 10, 17 to 20. Uh, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, Satan, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Right? We're protected. We've, we're able to tread on serpents and scorpions. And then he just says this as an aside. But, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Like, this isn't any big deal. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't allow yourself to be overcome by the distraction. Your names have been written in heaven. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the question is, do you struggle with darkness in your life? Do you struggle with some of these things? Uh, you certainly know people that do, even people that haven't told you about it. You need to know that you have authority as believers to deal with it. And if you are not in a place where you feel like, you, like you're a believer, like you're following Jesus, if you feel like you are still in the domain of darkness and have not given your heart to Jesus and been transferred to the kingdom of light, that's just, that's just where you want to be. You want to be in the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. And all the darkness uh, means nothing compared to having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. The glory of the Lord. Let's just pray. Why don't we stand?
Jesus, we declare your incredible victory. We declare your victory. We declare your victory. You accomplished something on the cross. You moved us from a place of being powerless and under the domain of darkness to a place of being in authority. Would you cause every believer here, uh, whether it's with their friends that they're encountering or whether it's with stuff that they're wrestling with uh, in their own lives, to just take up their authority and simply be who you've made them to be? For every teenager here that knows a friend who's tormented by nightmares or suicidal thoughts, would you cause them to move in authority in that relationship and invite their friend uh, into the kingdom of light? Would your kingdom advance, advance, advance in this area simply by us knowing who we are in you? knowing what you've accomplished for us. You have had the victory. We celebrate it. We walk in it. We live in it. We love your protection. We love your grace. We love being in this space. Thank you so much for what you've done. Any fear, any deception that's on your people about the strength or work of the enemy, would you break its power and would you supplant it with the knowledge of the protection and grace and glory of what you have done for us. Rise up, Jesus, in our hearts. Rise up. Rise up, people of God. Rise up. Rise up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.